0: Hey guys, welcome to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. And I'm so excited to have the guest on that have on today because he is a trend center in this industry, built ifs ands or buts. My guest today left behind a fifteen-year career with one of the largest building supply companies in North America to become the CEO of a large-scale California cultivation. Hey, is this Thanks so much for being a part of Let's Be Blunt with Montel today, sir.
1: Thank you very much for having me. Roger.
0: Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about, man, your, your start. Where are you from? I want to go back a little bit. Let's get a little bit of your background. Where did you grow up before you got involved with cannabis? Where are you from? Where, where, what part of the country you live in?
1: I actually was born and raised in Mexico. I lived in Mexico until I was 18 years old. Uh, so I'm a first-generation immigrant. I uh, came to the States as I was 18. I uh, got sent to a military boarding school for probably the reasons people get sent to military boarding schools.
0: And which, was that? which state was that?
1: <laughs> I went to New Mexico, a got little uh, school called New Mexico Military Institute. And uh-huh. uh, and then one thing led to another. And, uh, you know, many years, like 20 years later, I'm still here.
0: Did you go in the military after you graduated from school?
1: I did not. I was uh, being a Mexican citizen. I really didn't have that option. If it would have been, I'd, you know, I would have probably very seriously considered it.
0: Now, are you a U.S. citizen now? I am now. So you went to military boarding school. You got out of school. Was it boarding school or just a day school? Uh, boarding school. Boarding. boarding school. So you got out and and um, went from there. Where did you go to college?
1: I went to Arizona State University. I uh, majored in supply chain management. Uh, funny enough, that that's the business my dad was in growing up. He was in distribution. So you could say I've, I've been in distribution my entire life. And, uh, and and still am in, in kind of in a cultivation setting, if you will.
0: Wow, that's really interesting. Very, very interesting. So, now, you got out of college, and, and were you exposed to cannabis before you went to college? No. Or were you exposed to it in college? How did, how did your, your interest in cannabis come about?
1: No, actually, I mean, Mexico is, uh, cannabis is not very popular in Mexico. There's obviously the stigma around drugs. Uh, I mean, the, the war on drugs looks a little bit different in Mexico. It's It's not maybe as much of incarcerations as it is, you know, cartels and really, really ugly stuff with, you know, beheadings. And so, mm-hmm. you know, cannabis carried the stigma as a drug period. And there was really not a lot of education about the plant. And so growing up, it was, you know, I dealt yes, with you know. the stigma. I was, you know, I was never involved in cannabis. And then I really came to it very late. I mean, after i came to the states it's probably i think the first time i even saw the plant and uh and so i got involved with the plant uh, very later on and
0: uh yeah well I mean, you went to college for your degree again in supply pains supply supply chain management what was your career aspirations when you decided to jump in that way
1: i mean uh i saw it as business it, it was really as a transition where like china started taking uh you know really a lot of manufacturing out there and you saw that uh company supply chain started turning a little bit more global and so i liked the business aspect of it i was familiar with distribution and i always felt like the distribution concepts were ones that applied to any business ultimately distributions about sourcing product and getting efficiently from point a to point b And so it's always felt like it was something that it was a skill that would relate to any kind of industry and so really my aspirations went as far as knowing that I wanted to be in business and knowing that distribution was something that i had grown up with, was familiar with, and was going to be a need in, in, in kind of any industry.
0: But back then, when you graduated from college, you had cannabis was the last thought on your mind.
1: It was the last thought on my mind. Uh, yeah, it uh, it really, as the education on the plant evolved, as the stigma started to go away, people started getting more educated and, you know, began to gain recognitions for some of the medical aspects of it, That that's really when I started getting interested in it.
0: Well, you know, let's let's, let's, let's skip over your career with one of the largest building supply companies in the country. You started out working there uh, what, as an intern or no? Pretty much
1: as a management trainee. So uh, at the ground level, it was uh, really doing everything from warehousing duties to inside sales. And, and then really it evolved there. I was there for a span of 15 years while the company had a very, very rapid growth rate. So when I was there, that company was uh, about 750, 800 million. By the time I left that company was $8 billion in sales. So there was something about like 40 plus uh, acquisitions throughout that time. Uh, building materials was a very uh, segregated industry. And this was one of really a handful of companies looking to consolidate the industry. So it went from the five largest players having less than 15% of the market share to 15 years later, by the time I left, not five, but three largest players had something uh, close to over 60% market share. So it was a very, very um, rapid pace.
0: But pat yourself on the back. Let's not pat the company on the back, pat yourself on the back. I mean, you ascended up the ranks from, you know, that intern packing person Mm -hmm. and, you know, being kind of cultivated and taught to literally taking over a whole department of your company, did you not? Yes,
1: yes. yes.
0: You sent it very, very quickly.
1: Yeah, th- yeah. I was. Uh, I think it was uh, obviously a great opportunity when you're in a company that's growing very fast, and if you are having success, and if you're bringing results, then you have a lot of opportunities to to grow with the company as the, that
0: company grows. And you did. I guess at one point in time, you were managing assets around seven hundred million dollars. Correct. So then, then okay. So you're in a successful company. You're on a successful career path. I mean, I, I bet if you stayed there, you probably would end up being, you know, one of their top employees. What made you decide to switch over and open up your own cannabis company? Yeah,
1: and so it was really, it was really the opportunity and seeing what was happening. So the idea really originated with uh, David Bone, who is, you know. One of the founders of the business. He operates a large scale cultivation business in Mexico, really specialized in high-tech greenhouse settings, uh organic tomatoes specifically.
0: Okay. But at the time though, he was cultivating fruits and vegetables, not cannabis. Fruits and vegetables.
1: And and really he and I go back to really when we were like around like 10 years old. We've always been very good friends and we've always said had a lot of like mutual professional respect. And we've always said, man, it'd be very cool to do something together. You know, and it was we had always talked about things, but he had his own successful career. I, I had my career going on uh, in building materials, and so stars never aligned. And when really he started to look into cannabis, that's kind of when we got together. and And he said, "Hey, this is this is what I see as an ag business. As somebody that is one of the largest ag producers, this is what I think the industry is going to head to, and this is how I think we could be disruptive and be a force in the industry." And and then. You know that idea really took hold, and and uh, and, and the rest of history.
0: Well, and, you know, let's talk a little bit about that idea because you you have formed a pretty disruptive, you know, um, um, cultivation where you're utilizing greenhouse technology. Is that right? And sustainable Correct. technology. Let's talk a little bit about that. Well, I mean, you know, again, you you applied the horticulture techniques. From fruits and vegetables, and apply that to cannabis. Is that right? That's correct. I mean, really, when we when we saw the industry and we saw how
1: uh, cannabis was being produced, you saw two ways. You saw obviously outdoor cultivation, which is very good, but it is very hard to build a stable supply chain off of outdoor cultivation because you're going to get one or two harvests a year, and the you know with the consumer wanting fresh product, and there's going to be cycles throughout the year where you're not going to have that, and you're also obviously at the mercy of pests and diseases because it's a not protected environment. And so uh, it is a little bit harder to control quality and not, not to say that there's not great outdoor flower being grown. There is, it's just providing that consistency is, is harder to do. Then you had indoor cultivation, which obviously you have all the controls on the environment. You can produce very high quality, but it is one highly non-sustainable. There's a very heavy carbon footprint with indoor cannabis. And then, Two, the, uh, the cost to produce in an indoor setting are very high because you're recreating natural environment basically from scratch. And so when you look at greenhouse technology, it's a combination of both of those worlds. And I think how cannabis was being grown was had more to do with, you know, the war on drugs. You couldn't really set out greenhouses. You either had to be hidden outdoors and, you know, in the mountains or you had to do it in a basement. But when you looked at any traditional crop, you know, like tomatoes, like, you know, any large scale agriculture business, that's not the most efficient way. The most efficient way is through high technology greenhouses. And so we saw an opportunity to bring that technology and that expertise, uh, you know, that David and his team as a, as the founder had into cannabis, uh, which ultimately provides, you know, higher quality consistency year round at a much more affordable price to the consumer in a more sustainable way. So I saw all those benefits in greenhouse grow and I just felt it was a great opportunity to come in and, and uh, improve that theory.
0: And in that theory, you guys have how, how many acres do you have under under roof?
1: So we have uh, we have a 12 acre farm. We've built out 120,000 square feet of cultivation right now. And then we're actually in the process of building another 120,000 square feet of high tech cultivation. So you know, when we took the farm out, we, we knew we wanted to design that high tech project, but between getting it approved by the county, get it designed, getting all the vendors consolidated into a project, that's a two year process. And so we didn't want to wait two years, uh, and kind of sit on our hands while we went through that. We retrofitted that 120,000 square feet that we have under cultivation now to start learning the plan, start, you know, acquiring customers, start learning the business, prove, prove our theory. Of what greenhouse can be, and then obviously uh, built out the high tech project that that is that is the future
0: and I mean well now tell us a little bit more about it it's called the company's called possible correct
1: mm-hmm. correct
0: yes and you you are you are growing flower plants to then be white labeled for others or do you have your own brand what's going on
1: yeah, so uh our our core business is really B2B. So what we saw is that uh, we saw a lot of companies trying to do everything and being vertically integrated. And that's like the equivalent of trying to launch eight successful startups at the same time. There's, you know, and one, very cash intensive. And then two, two you got to be very good at a lot of things and deal with like your own internal, I like, can produce more than I can sell or I can sell more than I can produce. And so what we saw was let's focus on what we add value in, what we know the most about is agriculture. We know how to produce efficiently with high quality. So what let's focus there and find the best brand partners that we can and be their supplier. There's a lot of folks that are very good at branding that know how to build a following but don't necessarily know how to grow and so the the best marriage really is that. Somebody that is a marketing expert that wants to have a brand and uh really doesn't want to go through the learning curve of, of, of the technical aspect of growing. We're a, we're a great partnership in that way. So we today partner uh, over 15 brands throughout the state of California.
0: And you're producing what about a million package products a month
1: or what a year or, or grow? Or what? Yes. Oh, I mean, over a million package uh, products a, a year for sure. Um, you know, we're averaging somewhere about 1500 pounds of cannabis at any given month that we package for third parties.
0: And um, just talk a little bit about, you know, keeping up with the current state of, you know, the learning curve when it comes to cannabis, because, you know, I mean, it, there five years ago, everybody's trying their best to figure out how to grow the, you know, how to grow the highest THC version that they could find. And then all of a sudden people said, oh no, there's something called CBD. And then they started going after that. And then somebody else said, oh no, there's more than just two cannabinoids, which we've known for 20 years. But now all of a sudden, you know. Oh, then there's terpenes. Oh no, then there's flavonoids. Oh no, as I, you know, I mean, when you look at this industry, it seems like it's so neurotic because, you know, uh, in some ways, we do listen to the science, but in other ways, I think there are some who are just trying to make up stuff. So, I mean, how do you keep up with what the current, you know, trends are?
1: It is an everyday challenge, right? The the consumer taste uh, changes every day. So that is the hard part of growing cannabis, that uh, strains really transition so quickly that, and every plant is a little bit different, whether you grow, you know, one strain crossed with a different strain. They all have their own individual characteristics of what they want in a nutritional program and, and, and environmental settings. But many times you're growing plants or strains for the first or second time before the market's moved on to the next big thing, right? So if ice cream cake is a great strain this year, in six months, nobody will want ice cream cake because the market has had too much of it. And so that's really where you need a very strong uh, grower, a very strong director of cultivation that can really assess plants almost on the go because we don't have that knowledge built of Hey, this, you know, unlike tomatoes where you say, oh, Campari tomatoes, they've been growing that for a hundred years. This is what this tomato variety wants. And, and, it, and it's universal knowledge with cannabis. You're dealing with many times the first or second run of that strain. So your learning curve has to be very fast and you have to be able to adapt.
0: So once, from the- once you run a strain, I mean, from growth, from seasonal cycle to cycle, the strains change, correct?
1: It changes. It changes completely. I mean, uh, and one year the consumer will want, you know, purple strains. The next year it will want green strains. One year gas will be in flavor. And the next year it's more of the cakey sweet strain names. And even within California period, the, the taste be between the LA consumer and the Bay Area consumer are very different as well. So it's just a complicated industry that, that, and I, and I actually think that that's a good thing. I don't want a future where. I buy, go to the grocery store and there's two tomato varieties for me to buy. You know, I don't want that in my dispensary chain. I want to actually have a very broad, uh, palette of strains and, and, and cannabinoids and terpenes to pick from. Uh, I think that is part of what makes this, uh, this business in this industry pretty unique.
0: And how do you address, you know, sustainability?
1: So first off, it's the growing method. So, you know, high end flower today is being grown almost exclusively in an indoor setting. And so you're having to recreate sunlight from zero, you know, to 60 moles and you're having to dehumidify that environment uh, artificially all day. So what we do with greenhouses is you're taking advantage of what mother nature's already given you. We're lucky to be in the state of California that has ideal growing conditions, a lot of sunlight in the Salinas Valley. It is traditionally a very strong agricultural zone so why would we cover up that sun put plants in a basement and then have to recreate that sun so by being in a greenhouse setting you're taking advantage of what mother nature is already doing you so, so it allows you to have a lower carbon footprint but then there's also a couple things that we have incorporated into our project that, that are pretty unique one is uh energy cogeneration services so uh, our greenhouse will be powered through natural gas. So we're actually going to come in, burn, uh, burn, uh, burn natural gas, which produces CO2. And that's what plants need to grow. You know, our, our oxygen is their CO2. So we're actually pumping that CO2 back into the plants, which, which then gets converted into oxygen. Uh, we have a water recirculation system. So the same water that is draining off the plants is getting you know sanitize clean and reintroduce back into the plant uh, as as much as we can and again just being able to take advantage of uh, what mother nature's already given us
0: and how many how many different strains do you think you produce
1: a year in the in the past year we grew over a hundred strains
0: over 100 strains and I mean I, I, can you pick your favorite or can tell me what the favorite what your your best seller is?
1: Yeah. And it is a little bit like, uh, it's a little bit like food, right? Like where there's probably not just one favorite. It just depends on, on what you want. Is it, is it, uh, sleep and anxiety? Are you looking for an energizing strain? But I'll tell you like some of the things that, that, that I've been a huge fan of. We did a project, um, for Sativa Preservation Society where we brought a lot of, Traditional legacy strains that are no longer commercially viable in the market because of the long flowering time. Um, and actually probably go against everything that the consumer is, is been thought, you know, taught at the dispensary level, which is THC, THC, THC. I mean, they're, yeah, they're high lower THC plants. The bud structure is, you know, looks a little bit more like outdoor flower, but it has. Just an incredible high, unlike anything else that I've ever tried. Very energizing, very clear-headed. So, um, you know, my favorite strains are are more energizing, not so much um, things for relaxing. Um, Those hazes are are incredible.
0: Wow. And they're selling well, I'm sure? They're selling well, yes. Uh, Well, uh, you know, now, I mean, as you – I guess clearly you have people on staff that are – samplers or testers um that kind of steer you in a direction are you doing a lot of genetic crossing stay with us we'll be right back
1: the red life i know this is going to become your new favorite podcast and i'm going to show you how to grow a profitable online company step by step every single week we we are doing some genetic crossing in-house but we've actually you know really true to our business ethos have figured out that there's breeders that have been doing this for 25 years that have a bank of seeds and strains to cross off that is much broader than what I have. And so we've done the same thing as opposed to trying to become the best breeder. We know we're very good at the cultivation aspect. We've partnered with folks like Mean Gene from Mendocino, Skunk Tech, Diesel Cartel, uh, legacy breeders that, that, and quite frankly deserve and have earned a, a prestigious place in the marketplace and then developed a huge following. And we've said, Hey, we can be a house for those phenomenal strains and put them into mass production and actually get what you've developed out into the legal market in, in, a, in a width scale. So a lot of that has been done through partnerships. Uh, I wish I could say, I'm, you know, we're the best breeder. We're not. There's there's very good breeders out there. And it'd be an absolute mistake not to partner with them and and uh, and take advantage of that knowledge they've built.
0: And is this part of your your special project to preserve rare genetics?
1: yes absolutely so the hazes is uh, is uh again part of part of that and a lot of these breeders um are really kind of trendsetters in a way that they're strains that have fallen out of commercial favor you know because it's not as conducive to a cultivator so like i mentioned the hazes going from you know current strains are all eight to nine week strains when you talk about these hazes that are twelve to fourteen weeks, that's fifty percent less production as a grower. So that's very hard to uh very hard to incorporate in a large scale, you know, based on the economics. But if you have the right partnerships and if you're, you know, invested in educating the consumer, I, I think once once they try these strains that they'll realize why they deserve a you know a seat at the table.
0: Gotcha. And you know, let's let's talk a little bit about, you know, how do you help new brands, say, looking to break into the California market? What do you do? Well, I think first off is the concept of an asset uh, light brand. So we work with
1: over 15 brands in the state. It is the vast majority of those are not licensed brands. So we've really figured out an asset light model where um, through our licensing, we're able to work with a licensed distributor, which ultimately sells to a licensed dispensary. So what is the benefit of a brand actually having a cannabis license and taking possession of the product that actually, you know, adds a step, and it adds a lot of requirements in terms of securities, camera leases, etc. So what we figured out—it's a little bit of David and Goliath—is that the brands that are pursuing an asset light model that are saying, "Well, I actually don't need to take possession of the plant. I want to funnel my production through you as a you know, as a provider that handles everything from genetics to finished product and, you know, work with, build a supply chain with a distributor and ultimately relationships with dispensary where it doesn't have to go through me. So I think that that allows us to, So, you know, what are the advantages? One, a brand doesn't have to go through a very long and expensive licensing process. It can launch a brand tomorrow. You know, all we need is packaging and specifications and. And we can carve out an entire production plan for a brand for an entire year and two i think it reduces the complexity of their everyday business where they really get to focus on acquiring consumers and targeting uh dispensaries as opposed to uh, sourcing flour they're able to trust in a partner in a supply chain that's already built and i think lastly and probably the most important is you know the holy grail of brands is to be a national brand and so if you are pursuing a strategy where you're vertically integrated and you're licensing, it, you know, cultivation, then you have to do that today in all 50 different, you know, every state you want to enter, you're going to have to set that up. So the brands that work with us that have figured out what how to operate in this asset light model are much better prepared to be able to take their brands national and launch in an other step states because they're not pursuing licensing in those states they figured out a way to work and develop a brand without that licensing process so i actually end up seeing it as a a big advantage to for a brand to to know how to operate that way
0: but are you now i mean but do you have or do you have plans or have you already started building out um uh, grows in other states other than california or in other places in california no, for us
1: right now we're we're very California focused. Uh I mean I think there's two realities in the, in the marketplace. Uh you see obviously the MSOs pursuing limited license states where, you know, you write a big check to play and then you're you know, you're guaranteed big profits in a state like Florida where there's going to be six companies that supply all the cannabis in the state. Uh but ultimately we feel like that's an artificial market. Like how are those folks that have never had to deal with very hard competition in many times, uh, places that are really not ideal growing climates going to survive if and when interstate commerce happens. So there is a reason why the majority of the fruits and vegetables in the United States are grown in California, and that's the weather, the water, the climate is very conducive to agriculture. So what we see is we're in a state that is, one, has a longstanding history with the plant and a reputation as being one of the better producing states. Two, it has the ideal climate conditions. so that in the event of, hey, it's now a free game, everybody gets to compete, California is going to have a very big advantage. And, And see, I think those states that are used to not having competition, there will come a time where they will have to face competition just like every other industry. And so it's a little bit of a night fight in California. There's obviously very, very tough headlines and, in how competitive and bloody the market is but I think whoever you know one it's still the largest market in the country and two I think ultimately whoever wins in California is going to be very well prepared um, to be a leader once uh, federal legalization and interstate commerce happens
0: but, you know, you, you also one of the, one of the things I think a lot of people didn't don't recognize here uh, when it comes to the cannabis industry is that California wasn't always the biggest leader in this space. Kentucky was one of the biggest leaders in the state. As a matter of fact, you know, back in the 70s and the 80s and even back before that, the 60s, Kentucky supplied probably, you know, 60, 70 percent of all the cannabis in the United States. People thought what they thought was Mexican cannabis was really cannabis being grown in Kentucky. And so there are growers that are working out of that state, but right now, you know, you take a look at the the from a federal standpoint, it doesn't seem to be any interest in in trying to, you know, get a national program going. I mean, we just put your crystal ball on. How long do you think it's going to be before? You know, legislations around the country start to recognize the fact that let's tear some of these walls down. It's really ridiculous. We have 37 states, 38 states, and 37 states in the district of Columbia right now that have some form of cannabis protocol program. 2022, that election year cycle, there's five more states coming online. So that means it will be up to 42 out of 50. And we still have these walls built. And then you're going to have five or six years of angst between legislations of states who don't want to have you in their state because you're taken away from their jobs and all the arguing. So how long do you think it's going to be before we see some sort of a, you know, a consistent federal program?
1: That's the million dollar question. I I do still think we're probably three to five years away from a federal program. Uh, I do think uh, banking, which is crucial and probably just as needed for businesses to to really operate uh, well, is probably closer. I would think banking is probably a year away but you're right but the, the whole situation really speaks into how broken the politics have gotten because there is an overwhelming majority of voters that want cannabis uh like you mentioned it there's you know we're at 37 states and still going it's something when you look at actual population figures it it'll be something like 80 percent of the population already has access to to legal cannabis either either re- recreational or medicinal and so the fact that the two parties can't get along and, and, and pass what is very, very clearly the will of the people, uh, it feels like a broken system. Uh, but I do think you start seeing now, you know, momentums on both sides of the aisle. Like, you know, it was very interesting that a Republican senator passed, you know, proposed a bill for cannabis legalization. It almost is a issue that transcends political affiliation and it really the, the country behind
0: I'm not going to argue with you with this, but you you would think that where, where you know, we know that McConnell, you know, mm-hmm. was the leader in leading voice in the hemp bill passage. Why? Because yes. his state, Kentucky, had such, you know, history with growing and selling hemp mm-hmm. and cannabis. So you think that with McConnell on board that this would have just moved straight down, you know, in a rocket pace. But then all of a sudden, oh, the brakes went on because then they're worried about the fact that Kentucky's worried that California is going to sell something in their state. It's like, stop the stupid. I just don't. And while we sit back fighting with each other from a legislative standpoint, and we as an industry fight with each other the way we are, the rest of the world is jumping aboard the bandwagon yes. and getting ready to outproduce us Colombia, um, Venezuela, um, South Africa. You know, all over the world now, China is even getting into the hemp production game. Though I would never consume a product that came out of China, um, they are going to take, you know, we got to remember there's only 350 million of us, there's 7.2 billion around the world. So, you know, right. if some of these other nations start producing, and we already now have the DEA allowing certain extracts of hemp to be imported. Do you fear that we're getting ready to, to be stupid enough? to? I just don't understand why this industry fights with each other the way it does, knowing that the world may take us over. Yes, that is definitely a concern.
1: I, I mean, I, I look at it, my, my hometown, Mexico, just is getting ready to pass federal legalization as well. Uh, you know, and there's a lot of agriculture not know-how down in Mexico. Uh, I, I think we do. We're We're, we're kind of screwing it up if we can't get something done and it is a incredible job creation industry um there's a lot of demand when you look at things like telecom in the 80s or the internet the cannabis has the same type of growth rate so it could be a phenomenal industry uh to provide a lot of jobs and and create a lot of wealth for the country but you know we we still can't uh stop fighting with one another it's a it's a shame
0: now under under roof do you have mostly consumable human consumable cannabis do, are you growing any any hemp um for industrial reasons
1: We are not growing any hemp uh now and it actually has evolved uh we grew when we began some some c b d flour and at the time there was no market for it and uh and that's actually changing now now there is a one and a need from the consumer to to actually have CBD low THC flower. So it, it is probably something we'll relook at at some point. Um, right now, we're not. they we are.
0: are do, 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 even are you even thinking about you know? I mean, we know now that hempcrete is viable product. We know that uh, hemp uh, biomass for batteries is viable product. We know that you know. Um, and again, not just. CBD, but now we know CBDA, we got CBG, we got CBN, we got CBC, you have so many different cannabinoids that have come online and had, you know, in the last year alone, there's well over 3,500 peer review published documents on the viability of cannabis, about 35,000 of them in the last 10 years, peer review, published scientific documentation to study the viability of cannabis. Are you looking to expand into some of these other, you know, uh, secondary cannabinoids and making sure that you get some of that available?
1: Absolutely. We actually have a, a plant that just got to our greenhouse to start producing for a brand uh, that is a high THCV. If if you're familiar, uh, yeah, uh, which is, you know, they're really focused on more the athlete aspect of it, the appetite suppressant. So it is one of the highest testing THCV plants out there. I mean it's something that we want to put into mass production. So we absolutely see that the more we learn about the plant, the more complex it is and the more uses it could have. And we absolutely want to stay in front of that.
0: Yeah, we just uh, saw what, two weeks ago, University of Oregon published a paper that discussed the fact that C B D A and C B G A, the acid versions of those cannabinoids, have the potential to literally prohibit the COVID virus and other, sure. you know, respiratory viruses from actually entering the cells because of the way our bodies are made with our endocannabinoid system. We know that CBDA and CBGA attaches to the spike protein on the viruses, you know, outer layer. And that literally stops it from entering the human cell. Yeah. So are you thinking and about growing a little bit more CBG? Yeah, we actually
1: absolutely would be interested. I mean, it's so interesting to to read that. Uh, I mean, I think that's what makes this industry so unique and complex. There's no way pharmaceutical companies want people growing medicine in their house, but uh, you know, I think a better future is one that that allows that and get lets people get away from you know, a lot of the heavy pharmaceuticals.
0: Yeah, good. well, you know, I think the pharmaceutical industry is is the reason for the slowness in our evolution yeah. anyway, because, you know, they are blocking the fact that they would rather produce something that they can charge you 1500 to $3,000 for, you know, a little bottle of synthetic that we know does not work the same way as the natural plant does. You're processing. Do you process or do you actually do extracts also? Or you just make the flour, provide the raw materials?
1: Yeah. So we just, uh, so we grow the flour, we process in house. So we do all the drying, trimming, packaging in house. That's part of the one stop shop solution for brands. We don't do any extraction methods today. So as a part of the build out that we're underway right now, we're not just building, uh, the brand new greenhouses. We're also building a brand new state of the art 30,000 square foot processing facility, which will have a lot of the extraction methods as well. So that, that is something that is coming.
0: Wow. Well, you know, I got to tell you, along the way, I'd like to keep in touch and talk to you because, I mean, I, I've had a brand in the marketplace for quite a while right now. And I'm um, getting ready to relaunch here within the next month in uh, places like Massachusetts and New Jersey and around the country. So I'd love to sit down and talk to you about, you know, something synergistic we might be able to work on. Absolutely. Absolutely. would love to. That's a hundred percent. I mean, so for everybody tuning in and watching, you know, this is not, I, I am making the same, the shameless kind of a proposal, but, you know, I mean, I, I literally, I, I look at, uh, you know, I've, I've been doing, I've been in this industry now for 20 years, um, you know, not, you know, last five years when it was vogue, but back in the day when yeah. you know, I was helping several of the states pass legislation that finally did pass and um, have been working on Various well, way before people even used the term CBD I was looking for CBD products back in two thousand one and two thousand two so um i I think I different have a different take on you know I had a brand that was in the marketplace in California and or in Oregon that you know we took a different approach to providing the consumer with product that was able to allow them to titrate themselves at whatever level they wanted to titrate at and it's for using combinations of different cannabinoids and so you know I'd love to, to to have a conversation with you at some point in time to see if it's something that interests you guys absolutely yeah and
1: i I'm actually seeing a lot of brands now come from states like Oklahoma and Colorado into California so you know a lot of the latest conversations that we've had with new brands looking to come is it's actually not brands from California, but brands that are doing the exact same thing that a lot of my customers are doing going into four or five different states. And now now we're going to get a cross-pollination of brands interstate. So it's, uh, yeah, we're, we're well prepared to do that.
0: Well, what else do you, say? you know, if you had to project ahead, I mean, you guys have a fairly decent market share right now. But if you had to project ahead, what do you see coming next for, uh, you know, um your brand for your for possible what's next for possible so there's two
1: big things that that are underway one is we are launching uh, i mentioned it from the get go we are a b2b provider our our focus really is on supporting brand partners but uh, so this company is really minority owned and operated we're you know founders all come from mexico a lot of our investors are from mexico and what we saw was a gaping hole in terms of uh, a brand that really spoke to the Latino community. So when you saw things like beer and three out of the top 10 beer brands are, are Latino brands that everybody's heard of, Corona, Modelo, you look at liquor, you see the same thing play out with a bit a lot of the big tequila brands, Mistals. And when you looked at cannabis, the top, you know, California has a huge Hispanic population. Uh, we make a big percentage of the state and there were really, no flower, large flower brands to speak of that were really uh, speaking to us as consumer. So I kept asking brands, hey, have you thought about a Latino brand? And everybody you know, actually had the right answer, which is if you're going to have a brand, you need it to be authentic. And we can't really speak to that demographic. If we're not a part of it. And so after, you know, waiting since 2017 for a Latino brand to come along, nobody came. We just said, you know what, if nobody's going to if nobody's going to speak to us as a consumer base, we might as well do it. We know how to do that. And so we are we are launching a Latino brand that, that, that Possible is is directly affiliated with. Uh, I am very excited uh, about that and putting something in my community's hands that, that is you know, grown by their community for their community. That's one thing. And the second one is just being able to activate the state-of-the-art greenhouses. So our core belief is that you can produce indoor quality flour in a greenhouse setting with the right technology and so i think we've taken leaps and bounds in our current setup but uh it continues to be a retrofitted structure it was actually uh, uh, one of the last flower uh, cut flower greenhouses in the salinas valley which was a huge industry in the past and so we've retrofitted to make that work for cannabis so now building a greenhouse that is specifically designed for cannabis and you know, with all the with all the technology that we know, we can't put in there to, to maximize the output. I am really excited to see that come into fruition and see what we can do there.
0: So, you anticipate you'll have this finished out by when? It's about you know fourteen to fifteen months. So we just broke ground. Gotcha. Well, is there anything else you want to add, my friend?
1: Uh, the only thing I would like to add is I, I just want to thank you for your contributions to the industry, helping to educate the consumer base and. You know, really the overall general public, uh your work is really uh, crucial to normalizing the plan. And I just can't thank you enough As somebody that participates in the industry and knows how how much we need that type of education. So, so really just thank
0: you. Well, thank you, my friend. And I will definitely be reaching out to you because it sounds like, you know, you're the place that I should. I mean, you're one of you speaking my own language. I don't know if you know, but you don't know. But I. Literally I'm involved in when I ask you that question about international competition, I'm involved in a company that is, you know, going to be a pretty huge company out of Colombia uh, and another company out of South Africa that is right now, you know, and I think those two companies are thinking strategically about how to take a bigger part of that international market share while you know, America fights with vitamin allowing us to have something on the local municipality level. These guys are already in the process of shipping to multiple countries around the world and, you know, processing um, extracts that they can legally ship around the world. And, um, you know, I, I'd, I'd love to kind of see if there's something synergistic that we can do. Absolutely. We'd we'll love that. Absolutely, sir. Well, look, you. Yourself make sure that all of our viewers know. If people want to get more information from you, Jose, about what you're doing, where would they go? I'm sorry, Jesus, where uh, they go? Uh, our,
1: our website is www.possible, spelled P O S I B L, project.com. And you can also follow us on Instagram, same handle, Possible, P O S I B L, project, all one word.
0: Gotcha. Well, you've been listening to Jesus Barola here at You know, Let's be blunt with Montel, sharing some wisdom and knowledge that I think this industry needs to stop paying attention to. I got one last question for you. How do we convince this industry, even though, you know, I mean, again, this is competitive. But why do we have to be so cutthroat? Why do we have to be so, so, so nasty to each other? We're all, you know, what's that old saying? You know, rising tide lifts all boats. And if we work together a little bit more than we work against each other as much as we do. I think we might see some of those breakthroughs legislatively nationally that should happen. So how would you how do you go about convincing, you know, you work in the B2B world, how do you convince, you know, the B2B world to let's play nice together?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question. And I always I always tell folks what we want is a thriving legal industry
0: in general,
1: right? Like my competition is not the farmer next door that is also struggling to make it under the constraints that you know, municipalities and the federal government have put on us. What we are actually trying to do is bring people into the legal market. And the harder we make it through, you know, taxes and rules and, and, and you know, obstacles to observe, the less people want to do that. And, and it's just really a such a hard and complex problem. But I think it starts with education. The, the plant has to get, uh, you know, lose the stigma. People need to understand the medical benefits. I mean, uh, I, I told you I grew up in a world in Mexico where, you know, cannabis was probably equivalent of saying, you know, heroin. It, it just, and it's far from it. It is a plant. It is natural. There's no addiction to it. There's no, um, there, it's just so much better for you. And uh, I think it's just education ultimately to the consumer to then pressure their politician. That That's the only way.
0: Gotcha. Well, you've been listening to Mr. Jose Jesus Barola of possible, and of course, again, one more time, give them that, that website uh,
1: possibleproject.com. Spelled P O S I B L
0: Project. You can get more information going up there, and of course, you can get information by just paying attention to this podcast. So you've been listening to Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Make sure you tune into the next edition. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments.